the Lord looked at the storm and he said, peace, be still. Because he had authority and power, the storm had to shut down immediately. The disciples were watching. Throughout the course of the Lord's ministry on earth, exactly how he was and how he operated. It's a privilege to be in that apprenticeship. Biblically put, the discipleship to see how the Lord thinks and speaks because the Lord reveals his thoughts. Some time ago, I had mentioned in a message, as people discover things from the past, artifacts, what if someone said, I found a tape recording or a recording, digital recording of a conversation like no other? I have an audio recording of the actual conversation between the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I have, I have a recording of that. Someone would say that, and it was true, it was true. It would be beyond anything we could fathom. And people would be desperate to figure out and find out how to get access to that and actually hear the conversation of God. They sent people into space, some arrogant people once said, I went to space looking for God, but I didn't find him. Atheists. They can go to the end of space if there's such a thing. They still won't find God because they want to meet God as if they're God. Psalm 2 says, the Lord shall have them in derision. He that sits in the heavens laughs because of the pride of puny dust and less than dust. But if someone were to find a recording, it would be the greatest sensation of all time. And yet, I had mentioned we have a recording. We have the exact words that Jesus spoke to the Father, who is invisible, in whom the Lord said, in John chapter 4, the Father is spirit. No man hath seen the Father at any time, but the Son. And here it is on earth, the Lord could have prayed privately, but he prayed publicly. And publicly, the father responded on a few occasions so that people could hear thunder. This was in the life, not of Moses on Mount Sinai, about 15 centuries before Christ, but it was during the earthly ministry of the one who's meek and lowly, the Lamb of God. A conversation was recorded. Especially in John chapter 17. So the point is, 
that we have access to the very thoughts of God because God in his exceeding great condescension and mercy has revealed it. So when we know how God thinks and how he acts and what he says, we have an exact pattern for us to see if we line up with our thoughts, our words, our attitudes. The greatest thrill is to take our burdens to the presence of God. Because the one who has faith and goes in to meet with God comes out relieved. Hallelujah. It's inexplicable how God is able to lift the burden so deep, distress that is so grievous to our soul, our mind, our bodies. Our bodies get affected by the way we think and what we go through in our spirits and our emotions. It's no secret. But we have experienced, I certainly have, what I can only call absolute miracle, where I can go into God's presence and bear the burden. Have God help me to roll the burden onto him and come out relieved with faith, knowing that my father has promised he will solve this. Hallelujah. What burdens do you carry that seems to have a little bit of relief or a lot of relief, but then the moment you come out of the church service or the prayer meeting or a couple of hours later, Satan's there with a challenge again. And what we need to do is go right back to the presence of God. We are called to learn of Jesus Christ. He said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. Praise God. I have the peace of God in me. I have the peace of God in me. His peace is joy, ability in me. I have the peace of God in me. I have the love of God in me. I have the love of God in me. His love is peace, ability in me. I have the love of God in me. I have the joy of God in me, the peace of God in me, the love of God in me. It's a miracle. Then when we go through the storms, we go through the journey, we go through the difficulties, we go through the attacks. Whatever Satan has for us, God has promised that we need to go into his presence. Know how to connect with God because if we connect with God, the power will flow right into our situation, into us. Satan will flee. Hallelujah. Praise God. Psalm 53. Let's turn in our Bible to Psalm 53. 
And I'd like one person to read that short psalm, if you could, please. First of all, please ensure that you have a good connection. If you're driving or you have some distraction, no need to unmute and let us know. Misunderstood. Um, but if you can speak loudly, loud enough, I should say, slow enough, clear enough, let's hear God's word together. Anyone who'd like to read Psalm 53? You can unmute and go ahead, please. New King James Version. Psalm 53, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great fear where no fear was. For God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Psalm 53. And um, some of you, or many of you know that this is one psalm that begins with an address directly to the person who says there's no God. And when we read this psalm, we may think, as uh, many people erroneously teach, that look, everybody is filthy, everybody is wicked. Similar to the passage in Isaiah, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Similar to Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We take verses like these, and many people erroneously teach this, and that's why Christians are easily able to live a life of sin, because they've been fed a lie. They take these verses and they apply it to everyone, including themselves. When we come to the cross, God separates us from our abominations. What abominations? Not just things hateful to us once the light comes in, but what is utterly disgusting and detestable to God because it is a perversion. All the manifestations of human rebellion, such as lying, pride, blasphemy, stealing, 
self-seeking, all these things are abominable to God. They're not part of the nature of God. So when we come to the cross, he takes that away where there's a new man that's created in righteousness and true holiness, the Bible says in Ephesians. So if we have that new man or the new inner person that God has created, we no longer have anything to do with these things unless we elect to backslide and go back to the vomit. But that's our choice. It's not God's purpose or his expectation. So we cannot read these verses, and yet many, many Christians do. They take verses such as these in Psalm 53. Look, it says, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men, verse 2, to see if there were any that did understand, that did see God. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. Reading the King James Version. It's close enough. Who's writing this psalm? It's the man after God's own heart. So is he corrupt? Is he abominable? Does he not seek God? How come he's writing the psalm? David, in his life, was characterized by God himself and commended by the Lord as a man after God's own heart, which means he was holy. He had some very terrible falls, but they were very short compared to the duration of his life before and after where he pleased the Lord. He loved the Lord. God loved him. God still loves him and he still loves God. He's in heaven with God. When he's writing the psalm, just like Paul writing in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that many people use in that Romans road to salvation when they witness For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Is Paul including himself in that? There's a big difference practically in our lives when we say, I'm a sinner saved by grace and we leave that in the present tense implying that I still sin. Going further, implying that I'm willfully sinning still. But God understands because look, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and Psalm 53 states that everybody's sinned and fall, fallen short of God's glory. No one's righteous. So God has concluded that everybody's guilty. This is a... a narration and a reflection of the state of a world without God, whether it's Jew or Gentile. David and Paul are both speaking of the world that doesn't acknowledge, does not want God. So for our purposes, it's important to know how Satan can use verses and confuse people 
caused them to keep going to the vomit again and again and again, from which God cleansed them. They picked back to the mire again and again and again because they're confused. How confusion regarding the truth can cause people to live very differently than they ought to. So next time you hear these verses, next time you hear someone preach somewhere else, or even in evangelism and answering questions, know that they are not speaking the truth. Not that they're doing it intentionally. Always. But if they tell someone, look, I'm a sinner like you and we're all sinners and we need God. Every day I sin. I've heard many a preacher say that. Big preachers, big evangelists. Every day I sin. The Bible says in First John, he that sins is of the devil. That means every day you're of the devil. When somebody speaks about the potential to sin because of the sin principle in my flesh, which is supposed to be crucified, that sin principle and potential that can come out is not the same thing as me saying to someone I sin every day. There's a confusion there because how people take it and even the people saying it is that I can't help it. Romans chapter 7, I can't help get angry. I can't help get Somebody excuses their aberrant behavior. That means a deviation from the norm that God has set in our inner man by his blood. Created a new man. When someone says, I can't help it, what they're doing is actually denying God. Because if a person continues in sin, the Bible says they're not walking in the light, they're in darkness now. No one who's in the darkness will go to God who's the light. As the Lord Jesus says in John's Gospel. Lest their evil deeds be exposed. That's why they don't want to come to the light. But the one who says, Lord, my experience is not what you say. So the problem is not what you say, it's my experience. Show me, Lord, where I've gone astray. Oh, I wish many, many evangelists, many, many preachers and pastors would understand that God didn't make a mistake when he wrote, sin has no dominion over you. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God, alive to righteousness. He that is born of God does not commit sin. There's no continuation of that. So volitional sin and sins that occur that are not intentional, there's a vast difference. The penalty ultimately is death, but the degree of the culpability, the guilt, is vastly different. Just like you would in our own world, understand if you read in the papers that somebody got thrown into jail because they shoplifted. Got caught on camera. Everything's there. They were caught in the act. 
the managers of the store decided I'm going to teach this person a lesson and hey, the law is the law. Make an example of you and there he or she is. Then you have another person thrown to jail, also shoplifted. And what's the proof? You saw a picture that in the purse or in the backpack, there was an item there that was not paid for. An extreme case. But suppose, as I've heard it happen in certain rare cases, that a mischief maker actually planted drugs in an innocent person's luggage or bag and the authorities locked up the innocent person. They were caught with it. The vast difference, of course, we understand was not intentional. Someone else did it. So in that case, when a person has the flesh and they forget to keep their vow to God, they allow themselves to get distracted, they spend a little bit too much time talking to someone, all well and good, nothing wrong. It was actually even talking about God, but they made a vow to God in a certain thing and they missed that. They passed that time for that vow to be fulfilled. It's a vast difference between that and somebody saying, I'm a sinner and you need Jesus like me. We're both sinners and we'll always be sinners until we get to heaven. And the only difference between me and you is that whenever I commit adultery and I steal and I rob and I lie and I curse and I get angry and shout and fight, I can go to God because I have a relationship with God. This is exactly what is being taught and modeled. So in these last days, the hideous serpent has injected lies and twisted the word of God itself. So that people think that, well, the Bible says all have sinned. In our pre-Christian state, we're guilty with the world. We have nothing going for us until Christ gives us life. We're dead in trespasses and sins. Just as written in Ephesians chapter 2. But once we come to the light, can I look at this verse? And you'd be surprised if you haven't met already people like that. Plenty of people I've seen. Leaders, lay people, in books, audio, video messages. I've heard this. That when they read these verses, all our righteousness is filthy rags and they put in the tracks and everywhere we need to be careful that we don't mix that up with a person who's genuinely born again. How can a person who's been washed and given the righteousness of God go back to saying, well, my righteousness filthy wrecks. And then perhaps try to explain that further and say, I'm talking about my righteousness, not God's righteousness. Well, if you have God's righteousness, his righteousness has become your righteousness. There's no dichotomy. There's no dualism here. It's not that I have God's righteousness on one shoulder, like the devil on one, uh, angel on one shoulder, and the devil on the other. There's a constant battle, and I'm, I'm in, caught in the middle. If you catch me on a good day, you may not get chewed up as much as on a bad day. It's just I'm caught in here. There's a, there's a force. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. So now it would be 
absolutely ridiculous and criminal to twist God's word and say, look, it says all our righteousness is filthy rags. And then feel guilty about it again and again confess the same things and again say, Lord, I'm, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. If somebody is doing something willfully going back to sin, they have to confess. They have become filthy. If they decided to clench their fist and beat the table, beat the wall and say, I wish this person was dead. No, they are now being led by Satan, even if they were born again. And they do have to say, Lord, I've taken on the rags, the filthy rags, Lord. I've become a wolf now, Lord. Please save me. God will say, turn from that wickedness that you adopted when I gave you my righteousness. And God will graciously forgive the one who realizes the horror, the depth of their iniquity. Being jealous, being irritable and wicked, being unlike Christ, unless we realize how horrible it is and abominable to God, we'll think, oh, it's just part of my Christian nature. What a blasphemous thing to say. Most people don't say it, but they live like it. So may everyone in this church understand the difference. Very, very vital for your own lives and for others that you minister to. When you come across verses in Isaiah, in Psalms, in Romans, and elsewhere, that talks about the state of humanity apart from God, don't include yourself in it. Except to say, thanks to God for taking you out of that state. And the people you minister to, you should be able to say boldly, I'm no longer in that state of being abominable to God. Hallelujah. You don't partake in sin. Hallelujah. Somebody says, you don't do drugs anymore? No. Some of us may say, I never did drugs and feel a little extra self-righteous. You don't smoke anymore? No, I used to, but I don't. Some of us may say, I never smoked in my life. Feeling extra self-righteous. It's possible. You see, it's those people there that smoke and do drugs and they don't have a good head on their shoulders. That's why they do that. But what about the people who don't do drugs and don't smoke, but they still don't forgive certain people? They're in the same boat. Have to repent. But when God's righteousness comes, he teaches us. Colossians 3.13 is a parallel verse, as I recall, with the verse we quote often from Ephesians 4.32. Same thing. What did you get from Christ? To be tender-hearted. What does it mean to be tender-hearted? Some people say, I can't get along with people. That's why I like pets. I'd rather live with a pet than a human being. There are some people who say that. There's nothing wrong with having pets. Obviously, you can hear that in the background. Not because we have it, but because God created pets for human beings. But some people may be single. Some people may be widowed. Some people may be old. They may have pets as guide dogs and all these different things. Therapy. Perfectly fine. But There are people who say, I'd like to live with a human being in the right way, 
but I don't think I can because they give me a lot of trouble forgetting that they're part of that species. They're also human beings. So maybe the trouble that they have with other human beings is really the trouble from within that hasn't been solved and that's why they can get along with human beings because they can't forgive. They can't be patient. They can't be forbearing, which means to bear with somebody, put up with them and go the distance to actually forgive and be kind. Sin is sin. We have the privilege to say, Lord, I've blown it so many times. Lord, if you should mark iniquities, oh God, who could stand before you? The psalmist says. None of us. If God would mark all our sins and hold it against us, no way. Could we stand? But we have a savior that's so powerful. His blood is so potent. He literally washes our sins away. And he's given us on top of that, not just pardon, but transformation because he's given a new nature. As we heard in church, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. And it's up to us to choose to live in the divine nature all the time with God's help. Praise be to God.